happy Friday, everyone. This is Stomp. We're excited to share with you the story of Odin the dog, the 90-plus-pound Rottweiler that found itself in need of rescue high up on Mount Washington's Ammanusik Trail. We want to dedicate this episode to a number of organizations that stepped in to help bring this pup down to safety. They include the New Hampshire Disaster Animal Response Team, the Granite State Dog Rescue Organization, and the For Your Paws Only store in North Conway. In addition to these, we want to give a shout out to all the off-duty volunteer search and rescue team members that came to assist, and also the multitude of people and sites online that helped spread the word. We'll put some information in the show notes about the organizations, and we'll also point you to a few ways that you can support them if interested. We hope you enjoy the show, and uh, a huge shout out to all of the organizations. We really appreciate what you do. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely been a scorcher, but yeah. I, I want to, um, so I'll start with giving some background about how I found out about this on Sunday night, but you said something that I'm not, I'm not going to let this slip. Did you just call the Jewel Trail the Jewel Trail? <laughs> what, what? What is that? Musalauke, Musalaki. <laughs> so, do you? How do you pronounce the Jewel Trail? Jewel. What is the stomp. Jewel. Jewel. That's how you pronounce it. Or yeah, is that that's. How it's pronounced? I, well, I, don't, I, I don't know where I picked that up, but that's how I pronounce it. Okay. What do you, right. Janine, Megan? Do you have any comment on that? I call it Jewel. <laughs> Thank you. Thank but you. I, I heard you say that. And I, I thought to myself, oh, wow, I already learned something new. This is great. But there's two L's. So that's a well. Wow. Right? I call it to it, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so, so we're going to move on from this. But I will say, I, I tell people I don't want any feedback on the podcast. But in this one case, I want the audience to just read, you know. Reach out, comment on Instagram, and tell us what the pronunciation is, because I've never heard it called Jewel Trail. But anyway. <laughs> wait, wait, here's another one. Ready? Wait, 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 wait. Triple I or Triple E Road? Oh, I oh that's another I, tough one. I guess it's Triple I, but... <laughs> Broadcasting from the Woodpecker Studio in the great state of New Hampshire, welcome to the Sounds Like a Search and Rescue podcast where we discuss all things related to hiking and search and rescue in the White Mountains of New Hampshire. Here are your hosts, Mike and Stomp. Stomp, we are here tonight. We've got a, um, a special episode that we are we are going to be um, recording here. So we're going to do a deep dive on the recent um, canine rescue that occurred on Mount Washington. But before we get into that, I, I gave you some homework for this podcast did you did you take your test i did you I did, did. And i've got some stunning results All right, well, <laughs> so we're going to be talking about dogs tonight so we've talked a little bit about dogs in the past i think on episode five we covered some details about dogs but um in preparation for this i gave stomp a test to determine what percentage he is of a dog person versus a cat person so um would you say stomp are you a dog person or are you a cat person uh, according to the test, or in my own opinion? <laughs> well, so why don't you give your own opinion and then just tell the audience what the test results were? I'm begrudgingly a, a cat person at the moment, but I'm definitely a very fond of pups, and I've had a pup um, in the past, and uh, it was a uh, Aussie. 
crazy Aussie. It was just the greatest dog, high energy. Uh, ultimately, I had to get rid of it though because it was like eating all of my studio cables, and it just—they need so much exercise and stuff like that. It's tough with a busy uh, lifestyle. But we have three cats, so yeah, I guess I'm sort of a cat person. Yeah. Well, what were your, so what was your test result? So just for the audience's purposes, like this is a test to tell what percentage you are as a dog person versus a cat person. So it's going to give you a breakdown of 100% and what your split is between dog and cat. I, so I think what, it was pretty accurate. Yeah. It was like 30% cat, 60, 65% dog. Okay. <laughs> so right. very so, interesting. Um, all right. <laughs> So I, I took the test. Are you curious? What do you think I am? Oh, uh, boy. Uh, definitely definitely a dog. I'd say 70% dog and maybe 30 cat. Yeah, maybe so. even higher for the dog. Yeah, I'm much higher for the dog. So I'm a 90% yeah. dog person. So wow. we're going to talk about this rescue. I was like... <laughs> I was I wanted to just run out of my house and go save this dog because I was just freaking out. But I yeah. was a longtime dog owner, so I had a dog for like fourteen or fifteen years. And oh, uh, I didn't know that. That's cool. But I married uh, an anti-dog person, so <laughs> I've been trying for the last twenty-one years of my marriage to get a dog, and it's been unsuccessful. <laughs> wow, that's tough. Tough break. Yeah, yeah. I actually did. <laughs> I went as far as. I actually adopted a dog. <laughs> I, I had a failed adoption um, this year. So I had applied for a dog and I was like, I'm going to get a dog. And my wife was against it. But I think I got her, she might have had a couple of glasses of wine and I got her to say yes. <laughs> and then I never brought it up again. So she said yes. And I said, I'm going to go get a dog. And I moved forward and I almost pulled the trigger on it. But at the last minute, my wife just was like, we cannot have a dog. I was like, I work from home. I can have a dog now. But she huh. pulled the rug out from under me. So I had picked the dog out. I had picked out a um, Labrador pit bull mix puppy named Aurora. And I was ready to go. And A rescue? She, it was a rescue. She was in Tennessee. Yeah, okay. okay. And I was ready to go. And unfortunately, my wife, at the last minute, right before I had to commit, changed her mind. And now I have no dog. Are you about to cry? You look I like think, you're about to cry. Well, I, th I think I need the audience to rally behind me and force Mrs. Mike to let me get a dog. But um, we can make but, that happen. Yeah, exactly. But anyway, that's the story of the dogs. For so, Stomp is a cat person. I'm a dog person, but I can't have a dog yet. So I'm I, working I'm, on it. I'm not intentionally a cat person. I'm forced into the cat realm here. Yeah, you are. <laughs> I've you had are. it up to here with the. The kitty fur balls and the puke and everything else. It's just, oh, man. But that's three cats. That's a lot. Good luck. Well, good luck with you. But um, <laughs> All right. So let's. Um, we're going to transition into the show here. So tonight we're here to talk about a, a rescue, and we've got, um, we've got a couple of guests with us. So anyone that has spent time hiking will most likely have run into a lot of dogs on the trail. Um, there's not, and for me, there's nothing better than sort of rounding the corner and seeing a dog run along the trail, happy as can be, enjoying the mountains. So, um, along with the joys that dogs give their hiking companions, they're also subject to the same risks that their human owners face while hiking on the trails. Um, we talked about this previously, but the terrifying 25 um, list creators summarized it well on their website. Uh, dogs will loyally follow their owners up or down any trail 
under any conditions. And this is often at their own peril. So tonight we're joined by Janine and Megan, uh, who are going to share a story about a dog named Odin. Odin suffered some serious injuries this week and required a team of volunteers to carry him down the Amanusik Ravine Trail. Um, and I think it's safe to say that Odin has stolen the collective hearts of the New Hampshire hiking community, um, and we've all been rooting for him over the last couple of days. So uh, grab a drink, get comfortable, and settle in to hear a story of strength, determination, and heroism within the New Hampshire hiking community, all focused on saving the life of a 90-pound Rottweiler named Odin. I'm Mike. And I'm Stomp. Let's get started. Very good. Very good. That was quite an opener there. I almost lost my breath. <laughs> nice work. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So um, I think we're going to forego the uh, the usual drink discussion and the recent hiking. So we'll we'll push yeah. that to the next episode. But suffice to say, I've been, out, I've been getting out a lot, Stomp. Have you been getting yeah. out at all? Yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I've been doing just like up and down, well, sticky, that type of thing. Um Without poles, heavy pack, you know, shorter distances, but heavier pack. I don't know if I'm putting the cart before the horse in terms of this hip surgery, but um, I've been feeling pretty good. That's Not good. Bad. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I'll save, I'll save my hiking stories for the next episode, but I've, I've been, I have been getting out a lot. So I'm very happy that the weather has turned nice. Good. All right. So um, we are here. We've got, we've got special guests. So um, Janine, you want to say hello? Hi. Hi, Janine. And uh, we also welcome. are here. Yeah, welcome. And uh, we're also here with Megan. Hello. Hi, Megan. Hey, All right. Megan. So um, they are here to provide details of their experience in helping with the rescue of Odin. Um, so we're going to get into this. We're recording this on a Wednesday night. This rescue actually happened um, Sunday night into it actually happened on Monday, but it started on Sunday night. So this is like two, three days after um it started so we're going to get into the details of the rescue but first i want to just find out a little bit about janine and megan um, particularly about their hiking background and, and a little bit more about them so janine maybe if you could start um if you want to introduce yourself and, and talk a little bit about your your background related to hiking absolutely so I'm a retired business manager. I teach now at Boston College, but fortunately I can do that remotely. So I'm fortunate that I get to spend most of our time or my time at our second home in Thornton, New Hampshire. And I started Ooh, neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> found that out. I started awesome. hiking in my twenties uh, with my family and friends. And, you know, Similar to a lot of people, in addition to the aerobic exercise, hiking really clears my mind and reduces stress. Um, there's nothing better for me than going out on a nice, beautiful, long hike in the woods. Yeah, yeah, I, I concur. It's like every, every weekend I get to hit that reset button by going out on a hike and all the stress just disappears. Mm. So awesome. um Janine, we are, uh, obviously, we're a search and rescue-based show. Um, I took a look at, I, I track all search and rescues. I have like a little list in a database, and I, I, I looked to see if your name was on it. So your name is not on the list. So I'm assuming you've never been involved in a search and rescue, but have you had any close calls on trail? I have. Um, I'm embarrassed to say that... Um 
Probably about three years ago, my girlfriend and I continued hiking up the Franconia Ridge Loop Trail when I could see stormy skies coming in. And after years of hiking, I know that we should have turned back. Um, My girlfriend was not that experienced. She was really relying on me. Um, But I ended up saying, let's press on. And it was really the wrong decision. We both ended up completely soaked. Uh, The wind and the rain, um, we were so slowed down over the ridge that we were into darkness. Uh, Fortunately, we made it to the Greenleaf Hut where we could stay overnight until the storm passed. We both switched out of our clothes. Um, We found some clothes in the lost and found box. But I have to tell you that uh, the hut crew just gave us the wool blankets after we had stripped all our wet clothes off. And they said, well, you can come to dinner with, you know, just a blanket on. That's fine. So (laughs) we did. We went to dinner with just the blanket on until we found the lost and found box. Um, and I tell you now I carry rain gear even on the sunniest days. <laughs> yes, exactly. Do you think, um, how far along the ridge were you before you had to make the decision of a, a go, no go? We actually had just gotten up to Haystack and I could see the skies very clearly from there. It was absolutely the wrong decision. I looked at her and I said, you know, I think we should go back down. And she looked at me and said, what? After that hike, I said, well, maybe we can make it across. Let's go fast. And literally halfway across, I looked at her and said, every person for themselves, just go. We've got to get to the hut. So, yeah, it was not my best decision. Yeah, that's interesting. So that's a, so. This is a scenario. Then you're an experienced hiker. You've mm-hmm. got somebody. Had they? Is this the first time they'd been on the ridge? Um, yes. First time on the ridge. Yes. Yeah. So the pressure is like, okay, I want to give my friend an experience and, you know, you probably are stretching a little bit to get, you know, to, to get them across when, um, you know, if you were, by, you think if you were by yourself, you would have just said, eh, forget it. I'm turning around. Oh, absolutely. I've turned back plenty of times. So, you know, it, it, it was just, it was really a bad decision, but, you know, I actually saw two through hikers And I said to them, you know, can we go with you? And they said, yes, but they were, their speed was so much faster that I lost them very quickly. And, um, you know, that kind of played into it too. I thought if I went with them, it would be a better decision. Um, But yeah, not a good decision. Interesting. So yeah, that's, we talk a lot about Franconia Ridge, so it's not an uncommon story. So that that was a good one, Janine. That's very interesting. (laughs) Cool. Now, how about you, Megan? Are you a local Thorntonite as well, or where do you live? I am not. I um, <laughs> I live in Bethlehem. I've lived here for about a year. I'm originally from upstate New York, um, but I got the hiking bug back in middle school. And recently, I really hated hmm. um, the certain hikes that I've done. I actually did Franconia Ridge. It was my first solo sunrise hike, so... Me and my dog did it. So I have like a personal um, interest in this rescue because I have a dog myself and she comes hiking with me. Uh, she's done about 18 of the 48. Um, so I make oh, sure wow. I always put her first because she can't really say if the hike is too hard. And I kind of know the certain cues for her. But yeah, we got up to the ridge um, 
Sunday morning around like five. It was a beautiful sunrise. It was my first one by myself. And I was kind of riding that high into, into Monday morning. I did another 4K um, with actually Jen Adams, another person on Pemisar. And then mm-hmm. I was kind of relaxed Monday. And then my friend sent me, you know, hey, there's this dog. Are you still hiking? So I had done the Franconia Ridge and then I had done another hike that morning. But I was like, yeah, let's go. So I was about like 20 minutes away. Uh, so I drive over there and then I kind of start jogging at first. And then it kind of got a little bit steeper. I'm, like, okay, I'm just going to walk and pace myself. But um, yeah, I've been hiking for, uh, I'd say eight years now. Uh, I've been mm-hmm. hiking for two years um, and I've done backpacks by myself. Um, so I'm pretty experienced and I recently got into backcountry touring skiing this past winter and I'm getting into mountain biking more this year. So yeah, I love being outdoors. Yeah. I know you a bit from search and rescue. So what caught your interest in terms of joining search and rescue and, um, how did you hear about the teams and everything else? So I have my wilderness first responder. Um, after I graduated college uh, last spring, I got it in August, and so I moved up here. And I actually wanted to join Pemisar last year, and I just missed the qualifying hike by like a week. Sorry. Speaking I of qualifying I hike, <laughs> that just for the audience to know, yeah. that is the alert for the team regarding um, the qualifying hike this weekend. Okay, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> so it's confirmed we're both members of a search and rescue team. Yes. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, so I did the qualifying hike um, last month and I joined the team and I'm just excited to be able to help people and use my passion for being outdoors and my wilderness first responder to hopefully make sure people get down the mountain safe. That's awesome. And I think you're going to bring some really great insight to this discussion tonight with your uh, involvement with your pup. That's really fantastic. Uh, have you ever been in a bad situation or a close call, such as Janine's story? Yeah, so I personally haven't had any close calls where I really thought, like, oh, no, I'm in danger. Like, this isn't good. But I have turned around um, on some pretty, what I would consider easy hikes, because I've done 20-plus mile hikes. Um, I was doing Wombeck at the beginning of the summer, and I had been skiing all winter, so I haven't and I got up about a mile and I was just white you know I was like what is happening um so I made the decision to turn around even though it's classified as an easier hike and I've done harder hikes before but I really just wasn't feeling it that day so um I turned around more often than you know I kind of want people to know like it's okay to turn around but um I haven't had any thankfully yet any close calls um when I did my sunrise hike it was definitely a little unnerving to hike in the dark at night, but I had multiple layers. I had like my brain gear, even though it wasn't supposed to rain. I had food. I had to stay overnight, like an extra day. So when I go alone, I try to be more prepared than I usually would be with a group. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Janine and Megan, thank you so much for joining us. And again, um, we want to get into the story of the rescue of Odin, the Rottweiler, here so uh but before we got into it we just wanted to introduce you a little bit to the audience mm-hmm. um so i think we're going to transition now into giving some of the yeah, background about what happened here yeah. so that's the key 
I will, I think I can probably start with sort of giving the background of where I first heard about this, which was the night before. Um, yeah, so Stomp, before we get into the details of you know what how this started, I think it would be helpful if you could give us a description of Mount Washington and specifically the Ammanusik Ravine Trail and that whole area. Yes, the Ammanusik Ravine Trail is actually a trail. Uh, it's the shortest distance to get to the summit. We all know, or most of us know, Mount Washington is the tallest peak in the Northeast. Uh, the Ammanusik Trail is an 8.2-mile out-and-back trail, and it's located uh, adjacent to the Cog Railroad uh, on the southwest aspect of Mount Washington. Uh, there's a parking lot for hikers about a quarter mile before the COG facility itself at the end of Base Station Road off of Route 302. The trail, as I said, is the most direct route to the summit um, after connecting to the Crawford Path. It's rated generally as a moderate uh, to difficult trail, and uh, the difficulty comes in the two-mile to three-mile range, and that's actually probably where this story is going to take place from what I understand. The first few miles, they're relatively easy. Uh, the trail follows the Ammanusik riv River and uh, actually intertwines with the Monroe Brook. At 2.1 miles, there's a beautiful gem pool. And then from 2.1 miles onward up to three, which is essentially where Treeline is, the trail continues up steeply with several water crossings, rock slabs, scrambles, and actually, um, a few waterfalls that range in uh, a few hundred feet high, which is pretty impressive. Um, there are ladders there. So that section up above 2.1 is pretty intense. Yeah, I've hiked it twice, and I've only hiked it in the winter. Uh, i got to get up there in the summer. But from the gem pool up to where you get above treeline, my recollection is, is it's just insanely steep. There's some sections there that are just absolutely absolutely painful to get up so i can imagine coming down it with a dog would be difficult sure yeah people speaking of that um people generally will go up amanusik hit the summit and then loop back down jewel that's sort of the common you know safest way to do it i've actually gone up amanusik in the winter with my wife and we were actually unable to descend it because micro spikes are just no good the upper portion where that three mile marker kicks in can become the thickest sheet of ice that um, just really makes most traction useless i mean it's almost crampon material but um yeah so that's the ammo and um that is our location and we all um know that the weather has been basically uh heat wave for the last several days so i believe the temperature sunday into monday was hitting high 80s into 90 yeah yeah it's it's definitely been a scorcher but yeah. i, I want to um so i'll start with giving some background about how i found out about this on sunday night but you said something that i'm not i'm not going to let this slip did you just call the jewel trail the jewel trail <laughs> what 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 is that Musalauke, Musalaki. <laughs> so, do you? How do you pronounce the Jewel Trail? Jewel. What is the stomp? Jewel. Jewel. That's how you pronounce it. Or yeah, is that that's. How it's pronounced? I, well, I, don't, I don't know where I picked that up, but that's how I pronounce it. Okay. What do you, right. Janine, Megan? Do you have any comment on that? I call it Jewel. <laughs> Thank you. Thank but you. I, I heard you say that, and I, I thought to myself, oh wow, I already learned something new. This is great. But there's two L's. <laughs> 
So that's a well. Wow. Right? I call it to it too. <laughs> All right. Well, so, so we're going to move on from this, but I will say I, I tell people I don't want any feedback on the podcast, but in this one case, I want the audience to just re, you know reach out and comment on Instagram and tell us what the pronunciation is because I've never heard it called Jewel. <laughs> but anyway, wait, well, here's another one. Ready? Wait, 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 wait. Triple I or Triple E Road? Oh, I, oh that's yeah, another I, tough one. I guess it's Triple I. But <laughs> all right. So moving on to the um, the start of the rescue. So Odin and his owner started their hike on. The rescue happened on Monday. They started their hike on Sunday. So where it's the ninth right now. So they would have started it on June 6th. And I became aware of this dog on Sunday night, well before I think the the community as a whole, the hiking community found out about this dog. And the reason I found out about this, and Janine and Megan, you may not be aware of this, but we have a Facebook group that's associated with this podcast and one of the members of the Facebook group, a friend of ours named Nicole, she had posted on Facebook around six, seven o'clock at night. She had been up hiking ammo. She went to Monroe with her kids and some friends. And she posted this. And it's amazing that she posted this. It's really, she had some good premonition. Um, she said, you guys, well, on the way down ammo from Monroe with a bunch of my feral children. So she Canines. calling your kids a little feral. Yeah, they were a little <laughs> rough. Um, I ran into a guy with no shirt in his dog. He asked me, excuse me, is this the trail to Mount Washington? Nicole then goes on to tell him it is. She was a little, she was a little concerned because it was late in the day. And she explained that it's about three, three miles from the trailhead to Lake of the Cloud Hut, and then another 1.4 miles from there to get to Mount Washington. Um, and then she also threw in, she said, you know, just as a heads up, there's some possible rain and thunder showers coming in, sort of to like lead him to this idea that like, hey, maybe it's not a great idea because it's so late in the day. Um, and he just responded, okay, thank you, and then hiked on. The reason she posted this was because there's sort of a debate that goes on around like, okay, should I intervene if I see somebody that's clearly sort of out of their element? And I think, you know, Megan and Stomp, I want to ask you that question in a minute uh, from the SAR team's perspective. But I think ultimately what Nicole's point was in posting this is she's like, look, I'm not the police officer on the trail. I can only sort of give, you know, gentle hints. And she actually ended the post by saying, um, she said, uh, you know, all this being said, I hope he had a nice hike and beats any impending weather, or maybe he will need a rescue. So she was basically saying, she's like, you know, look, it seemed a little sketchy. I can't intervene because it's not my place, but, you know, 99% of the time they're going to be okay. But maybe, you know, this would be a case where there could potentially be a rescue. So sure enough, fast forward to the next morning and... You know, the call goes out over a Facebook post on the 4,000 footer group by um, somebody named Laura Klein, who got the word out to the hiking community. But before we pick up with Laura's piece of this, and we'll transition over to Janine's story in a minute, Megan and Stomp, I guess I would want a little bit of an opinion here. So Nicole meets up with, with Odin and the owner. They have a quick conversation. It's enough to stick in her mind to say like, you know what, it's late in the day. They don't look like they're necessarily, you know, ready to go all the way to Mount Washington. You know, we can't, and when we're on the trail, like you cannot force anybody to do anything. It's a free mm -hmm. country. 
But what are your thoughts around, you know, how, what are some soft ways where you might be able to convince somebody to turn around? You want to take it, Megan? Sure. I, I probably have a different perspective on this just because I am um, in my early 20s. I am a female. So I find that I'm pretty experienced in hiking, but I find that I still get looks if I'm going solo or if I'm hiking in the morning before like sunrise. And I do have to worry a little bit more about my safety than maybe a man would. Um, So I feel more comfortable, I think, approaching people about it just because of my age. And because I am a female, it's a little bit easier for me to say, hey, maybe you shouldn't be doing that. Um, I know sometimes men don't want to feel like they're mansplaining and they might not actually know because I've been told that I shouldn't do something when it was well within my capabilities. So they might not actually know someone's capabilities. I think that's part of the hesitation. From a SAR perspective, um, I step in. I step in no matter what because I would rather someone be a bit upset or be a little confrontational than have to go and execute a full-scale rescue for them. Um, It saves the lives of the rescuers. Um, You know, they're not putting themselves at risk. And you're really teaching them kind of like a moment like, okay, maybe it's not a good idea. So kind of gently saying, hey, do you want to hike back down with me? Or maybe I'll go up a little bit with you and then come back down, or it's probably not the best idea. Or I actually ran into a group that was hiking um, Franconia Ridge. I was coming down. It was around 7 or 8 a.m., So I had done the whole loop. I was coming down Old Bridal Path and the group was about a mile and a half up and they asked how much farther. And I kind of told them, I looked at them, they had the proper gear and stuff, but I said, it is a brutal hike to the top of Lafayette. You know, you're going to go up a little bit more and then it gets steep. There are some rock slabs. Um, It's wet because it had rained and the water's running over it. And then you're going to get to the Greenleaf Hut. And then after the Greenleaf Hut is when the real climbing begins and when you really have to, you know, kick it up and go up to Lafayette. So I really laid it to them. And they said, thank you for being so honest. I said, it's doable. But if you don't think you can do it, I mean, you have enough time right now, definitely turn back. So just kind of being as honest as I can and really giving them my perspective of it. um, That's just what I try and do. And hopefully, you know, they can come to the conclusion and if it's someone who I really think shouldn't do it, I'll be a little bit more firm. Yeah, well said. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So, so that yeah, I think that's a perfect answer. Stomp, any any thoughts on your side? Yeah, I mean, personally, I, I think it depends on each person that you encounter. You know, I typically try to assess somebody. You know, just their demeanor, their their overall look, um, their gear. You know, you have to be careful with what you say to people, but I think as hikers, I think we all do have an obligation that a lot of us probably don't even realize we have to be looking out for each other um, because it is, it's a dangerous place. It really is. And um, I've become more comfortable over the years inserting myself into situations, but I do it in a subtle or a nice way. So, you know, just build up rapport if you have to initially and then drop the, hey, <laughs> What about those flip-flops? You know what I mean? So I guess it's all in your delivery, but I think it's critical that we do intervene because, I mean, the the numbers, 180 missions a year. It would be nice to cut those down. And I think part of that method of cutting that down would be to be more proactive, you know, whether it be the trail stewards at the beginning, 
uh, hikers in the middle, hikers at the top, whatever. I, I do think there's there's plenty of room for uh, nicely explaining and intervening without causing you know being offensive or being over the top. I, I think back to the yeah. the one the one mission this winter with those trail runners. Like, you know, they did pass people. Did those other folks recognize what was going on? Did they have some in- inclination as to any trouble that might have been occurring or developing? You know, so it's important to be aware when you're passing people and just make a quick assessment. Yeah, yeah. And it's so hard. Like, I would be so afraid that I'm like, I'm going to run into like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start like questioning somebody that's like a really accomplished hiker and make a fool of my, or feel like I'm going to make a fool out of myself doing it. But I guess there's a lot of different ways that you can approach it in a soft manner. And I think it's clear from Nicole's post, like she definitely smelled something on this in this one where she was like, you know, this, this could get ugly. But at the end of the day, she's like, it just, I, I did what I could to sort of give a warning. And, and she did. Yeah. 99% of the time it works out. And this one percent of the time, Odin got in trouble. So it's interesting. So anyway, that's a good perspective from both of you. It's 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 and it's a tough tough problem to solve. So I don't think we're ever going to solve it here. But I think talk, think about some soft ways to to sort of intervene and give people advice if you mm. can. One more point. <laughs> it's like I know what it feels like to get that person saying, "Hey, you're making a big mistake." Because whenever I come down say, well, it's Dickie, you're supposed to generally go, you know, counterclockwise, but I'm always going <laughs> clockwise down Welch. Yeah. Everybody's like, dude, what are you doing? You're going down Welch. You know, yeah. you know it's, I know what it feels like, but there's, again, it's all in delivery and your approach. <laughs> yeah, well, not to mention you're like, you're, um, <laughs> your duct taped backpack and, and your crazy like <laughs> army surplus gear that you have. Yeah, so. that's true. <laughs> that's yeah, a red flag. Exactly. <laughs> All right. So anyway, so just to lay the groundwork on the background. So Nicole spotted Odin and the owner on the ammo trail heading up around three thirty or so. She puts a post out around six o'clock just saying like, Hey, you know, we'll see what happens. And then sure enough, um, fast forward to, I was, I think I had a call at like nine o'clock in the morning. So I was settling in and I took a look at the 4,000 footer group and Laura Klein uh, at eight 30 the next morning, she puts a post on the 4,000 footer group. And I read that post and I was like, I, I would drive up there in a second if I could. It's just, I'm, I'm too far away and I have to work all day, but badly injured 90 pound dog on the Amanusik trail about one mile from Lake of the clouds hut. Owner and dog slept on the trail last night after trying to make it down after dark. All four of his paws are ripped apart. Mm. We got some gauze and supplies from the hut. And, um, you know, that was basically it. And then obviously, like everybody sort of started getting involved about the discussion. And I think the big thing that a lot of people I don't think realize is that when there's a dog rescue situation, Search and rescue does not typically come out. And and Stomp, we talked about this in episode five when we talked about the terrifying 25 list and the rescue on Bootspur for the the Mm St. Bernard. But, you know, and I get it, fishing game and the volunteer um, search and rescue groups, they just, they have a line where they just say, we're not going to mobilize for an animal rescue. I don't know, Megan or Stomp, if if you guys have anything to add to that other than it's just just policy and it's the way it is. Well, it's the legal structure of the agencies i mean there's just no room legally for them to respond to um you know pets and they're they're out there for woodland searches 
and rescues of people. And it's plain and simple. So there's really no room legally for them to respond to that. Um, AVSAR, I think what they do is they allow some members to attend a rescue of a pet, but they're not a representative of AVSAR. And I can say that for PEMI as well. You're more than welcome to go respond to one of these types of things, but you're not an active member of PEMI on a call that's been activated by Fish and Game, et cetera, et cetera. You're, you're doing this on your own, and the liability is on your own shoulders if you get hurt. Interesting. So now, Janine, I think this is where you step in. So I'm assuming you saw the same post that I did. Do you want to um, give us a, a little bit of background about your sort of your thoughts and reactions and, and talk a little bit about, you know, what you did when you heard about this situation? Absolutely. So, I mean, I'm a dog lover myself. I have a beautiful golden retriever. And so this instantly, you know, captured my heart and I was following all the posts um, but I'll be honest with you, I've never been part of a search and rescue. I don't really know, you know, the logistics of it or the command operation, so to speak. But what I saw through reading Laura's, you know, post and then the responses to it is a few people had put out an ask and they said, does anyone have a harness, a pack a paw? Mm. extra large harness that they could bring. And I said to myself, I do. And I'm not that far from the trailhead. And I looked at my husband and I said, he had to work. I said, you know what? I should just go. Uh, I'll go to the parking lot. I'll meet the rescuers, who's ever there. They probably will have a harness, but I'll feel a lot better if I just you know, drive the harness there and see if they need it. So on the way to the trailhead, I was still, you know, keeping on top of the posts. And I saw another post that said a rescue team out of Gorham had been activated. So when I got into the parking lot, I didn't see anyone. And I said, well, I don't know what to do. (laughs) Do I go up? Do I not go up? And, and, you know, Forest Service was there and I asked them and they said, no, we haven't heard anything about it on the radio. You know, we don't know anything. So I said to myself, well, you know what? I'm here. It's a beautiful day. I'll just hike up. And if they need the harness, they need the harness. And if they don't, they don't. I'll just hike up. So quick question. So how'd you end up with the harness? You purchased this? Oh, I bought it. I bought it um, online. It's actually a New Hampshire-based company, um, Pac-a-Paw. And uh, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah mountain, uh, mountain dog wear. Yes, it, it's uh, interesting because a friend of mine had actually mentioned it to me and said, you know, if you're going to be hiking with your dog, mm-hmm. you should get this, throw it in your pack. Hopefully you never have to use it in your life, but you have it. So mm-hmm. I had it. I think it's a fantastic solution. I mean, the way the system's structured, I think dog owners should consider what you did. I mean, that's fantastic. They're 99 bucks a pop. Exactly. (laughs) And we have it in our pack all the time. Even if we're walking on Livermore Trail at Waterville, we have it in our pack. Mm -hmm. I mean, yeah. So when I saw that post, I thought, well, what have I got to lose? I'll just drive to the trailhead, see if they need the harness. But when I got there and no one was there and there was really no 
I, I really wasn't sure what to do. I'm like, should I go up? Should I not go up? Am I going to be in the way? And then I thought, well, you never know. I'll just go up and maybe they need two harnesses and I'll have one. So I'll just go up. So that's how it started for me. And that's, that's how I heard about the situation and really got involved. Now, it's interesting. So the, the call went out on Facebook at 830. There was definitely a number of people that were talking about like, okay, you know, fishing game is aware. I, I, to me, I was like, all right, my guess is that AMC, somebody from the, the, the hot crew was going to get, you know, get on the scene on this thing or, um, you know, there'll be people mobilized, but you must've been like, where is everyone? Like I would have expected an army to be in Amanusik by nine thirty after that, that happened. Right. Right. So I pull in, you know, kind of got that adrenaline going and I'm like, no one's here. <laughs> um, and that's when I saw a forest service and they were, you know, uh, cleaning up litter. And I, said, oh, have you heard about the dog? And they're like, no, we haven't heard anything. And I'm looking around and literally no one was there. I mean, there were cars there. So some people could have gone up, but, um, you know, there was no coordination. And I'm looking at Facebook and there's still really no coordination. I'm seeing, okay, a team has been deployed. Okay, they do need help. Okay, these are not deployed. And I'm like, you know what? I have no idea what to do, but I'm just going to go up. And yeah. so that's that's how I ended up going. Nice. And then, uh, so you, would, would you get you got there around nine thirty in the morning? You think? I got to the trailhead at nine thirty. I got up there probably around noon, and nine thirty, ten thirty, eleven thirty. Yeah, probably around noon, maybe twelve thirty. Yeah. How was the hike? It was because it, it's it was hot that day, right? It was hot. Um, my average trail time is about an hour, a mile. So I'm mm -hmm. not fast. And, you know, I was asking downward hikers. I'm like, have you seen the injured dog? Oh, yeah, yeah. We saw the injured dog. I gave them my sleeping bag. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw the injured dog with the, with the man. I gave him all my food and water. I said, well, is anyone there? They said, no. And, you know, a couple of them said, that dog is way too big. You know, I couldn't, they were telling me they couldn't do anything because they were either one person or two people together. They couldn't handle a dog that size. Yeah. So I keep getting this information that no one's there. And I'm like, this is so weird, but I, I kept going. So I get there and I'm the first one there, which is absolutely shocking. I mean... <laughs> Like I said, I'm a mile an hour hiker. I'm like, oh my God, I'm the first one here. I can't believe this. Wow. And what, um, <laughs> yeah, wow. That is, it, and it's surprising, but like, honestly, Janine, like Stomp talks about this all the time. And he says, you know, Stomp, you've said this multiple times. Like people think that like something's going to, you know, I need a rescue and somebody's going to be there within an hour or two, like a search and rescue team that's deployed. Like, yeah. Three to four hours is pretty normal, but mm -hmm. for a dog where there's no organization that's that's ready to go, like mm -hmm. it, it took, it probably ended up taking like six or eight hours to really mobilize everybody. Yeah. So, you know, I arrived, I, I you know, the dog was immobile. Um, the young man, very young man, unprepared, um, just as Nicole had said. 
and you know I check do you have water do you have food um you know just all the normal things that I would ask any hiker if I saw them looking like they were in distress and I took one look at the dog and I said I have the harness but we're not going to be able to do this like yeah. we're going to have to wait and see if more people come do you know where exactly you were when you, or where they were when you located them? Like, I guess in reference to Lake of the Clouds Hot would be where I would be curious. Yeah, he had, um, he had gone up to Lake of the Cloud Huts with the dog, I believe the night before. That's how he got the blanket. He had like some sort of a moving blanket that he slept with and he had a dog bowl. And he told me it took him about 20 minutes to get up there. So, mm. you know, maybe like, two-tenths of a mile south of Lake of the Clouds Hut. Hmm. Now, I had met another downward hiker who I had asked, and he said, yeah, I just carried the dog across the river to try to get them to a flatter area with some shade. Um, so they were off to the side, um, kind of looked like a little campsite area because there looked to be like there had been a fire there at one point. Hmm. Um, so they were to the left of the river, off to the side. Um, and the young man was, I don't know, he didn't have a sense of urgency. And, and although I know he was urgent because he told me, yeah. you have to help me get get me off this mountain today. Um, he just seemed a little, just a little dazed. I think he was... Um, you know, and he looked at me, I'm the first rescuer. He's like, oh, no, <laughs> we need more help. <laughs> but I, I just assured him, I said, you know, I am going, I, I cannot carry this dog, but I'm going to stay here until more help comes. Now, what I want to say is that, again, I'm not search and rescue. I've never been involved in one before. I didn't realize the importance of communicating back down to some people so that they knew I was there and that I needed more help. Um, it wasn't until the second hiker arrived, probably about 15 minutes later, that he really took over that role and he started communicating with others. And um, so I probably wasted some time because I, I really didn't know that I was supposed to coordinate back down to people and give an update or a status. Yeah, and that was, is that Ron? Was that his name? Uh, Josh. Josh, okay, perfect. Um, so you're there with the dog. What was the triage that you were able to do for the dog? What was, if, you, when you, if you gave your assessment on the dog's condition when you arrived? Well, he, uh, you know, his paws were already wrapped, so they had already gotten gauzed and wrapped his paws, so I couldn't see it. But he, w I tried to go over and just comfort him, and he was very snarly at that point, yeah. uh, showing his teeth and growling and um, in pain. You know, if you even motion towards his paws, he would give you a snarl. Oh. So he was very uncomfortable. Now, um, I said to the boy, you know, you've been drinking water. Has the dog been drinking water? Yes. Yes. Do you have food? Yes. I've not been giving the dog food. So the dog was conscious, but absolutely conscious, but very uncomfortable. Got it. Do you know, did they actually summit Washington or did they? He said, no, he said, no, they didn't. He got just before the uh, lodge and he noticed the blood on the rocks 
And um, then, you know, he said they tried to come down when he noticed the blood. And then the dog sat down and wouldn't Mm. move. And it was interesting because the vet said to me, yeah, the vet said dogs will be very stoic until they're not. Mm -hmm. And then they just sit down and they won't move. And that was the situation. So was it the heat? Was it the heat that burnt the paws or what? Well, the vet told me, um, because we were kind of on the way down um, chatting, and she said that the heat on the granite causes like sandpaper that scrapes um, the bottom of their paws off. Gotcha. Yeah, that's what I figured. Hot, hot, hot. Yeah. Now, Megan, you're so you're you're a dog owner. Your dog has done a number of the 4,000 footers. I've typically, you know, I don't know, I don't know a ton of dog owners that do do hiking, but um, I have to imagine like the presidentials, like you have to sort of like condition your your dog to get to that point where they can handle that, right? How does that work as a dog owner? Yeah, so um, my dog is two and a half years old. So we started hiking when she was one and a half years old. Uh, you have to wait till they, um, the growth plates are closed. And for bigger dogs, it takes a little bit longer. She's about 30 pounds, which is the perfect size for me because I do carry a harness for her. So if I need to self-rescue her off of a mountain, I'm able to do it by myself. And I have actually used the harness before to get her across a a water crossing. So it's definitely come in handy. Um, For the peaks that are more, that have more rock exposure, I carry mushers and I just frequently check her paws. I reapply um, she is a very active dog, so I haven't had to do too much conditioning other than walks and just repeated hikes and making sure that I don't take her out when it's really hot. So we do early morning or later evening hikes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really important though, because she has gone one time we did do a hike. We did, um, the Carter Mariah Traverse. This was back last year, um, around September-ish. So she's pretty new to hiking. And I was just going to do the Carters and then my friend really wanted to do Mariah. Like, okay, so let's do it. And she got to about a mile before the end of the trail and she ended up sitting down, laying down and she was just like white. So thankfully it was only 3 p.m. So we hung out there for a couple hours and let her recover and stuff. And that's the only time where I've ever realized like she got to her breaking point. But usually... You have to be careful with dogs, too, because for every, if they're off leash, for every mile you do, they run back and forth. So I try and keep her on leash, especially for longer hikes, because that allows me to control how much mileage she's doing. Um, but, yeah, it's it's hard because they can't speak for themselves. So you really have to be in tune to your dog and make sure that you're checking up on them, continuously giving them water, giving them food, making sure that you're forcing them to drink and stuff. Got it. Got it. And Janine, with your dog, do you, do you take your dog out on, on big hikes or is it more smaller local hikes? Smaller local hikes. Um, yeah, no, he's never been on a 4,000 footer or anything like that. Okay. So just bringing it back to the, um, you know, you're, you're, so Odin, you're there on the scene. You've got the sling. Odin is okay, but like he not, not in a great responsive um place for humans and then josh shows up and starts sort of updating social media 
what's what's next? You know, Josh gets there, and you know, are you feeling like okay, now we got a little bit of little bit of progress here? Yeah, I, definitely. I mean, Josh jumped right in and slung the blanket over a rope. He rigged up a rope so we could all have some shade. Um, you know, he was on the phone with for your paws only. Uh, a store in North Conway, and that's, um, I think the owners are instrumental in the New Hampshire Disaster Animal Rescue Team, or uh, uh, New New Hampshire DART. And, um, you know, he just kind of took over, uh, you know, but he's looking at me, and and the owner, you know, was... um, on the lighter side, I'm not sure he could have carried the dog. So we're still kind of thinking we can't move or do anything. Um, and Josh is the one to make that decision. He said, you know, we're going to continue to hold until we get more help. Got it. And then there was no, was anybody from the AMC? Oh, well, the hut's not staffed at this point, is it? Or is it staffed? Lake of the Clouds. I'm not sure. I never even made it up there. So I don't know. Got it. But I think okay. they are open. I think they are. Yeah. No, I have a question. Um, was Granite State Dog Recovery, was that the outfit you were talking about? They were trying to. No. The one Josh was involved with is, um, I, it, I'd have to Google NH Dart, D A R T. What they do is, and Megan, you may know because um, you may be familiar with them, but. They do, like, if there's a disaster in New Hampshire, like maybe a tornado and animals, like farm animals are roaming in the street or dogs are lost, they will go in and set up a shelter. Mm-hmm. So in a disaster situation, they are a nonprofit organization that, um, you know, cares for the dogs or the animals that may need caring. And okay. uh, that's their role. Got it. So it sounds like there's three. So there's the Granite State Dog Recovery, which I know they were posting, looking mm-hmm. for volunteers to come up. Right. There's the For Your Paws, which is the store in North Conway that was involved in the rescue for the St. Bernard that we talked about in episode mm-hmm. five. Mm-hmm. And then we've got this group, Dart. So I think mm-hmm. it sounds like to me, and I, and I definitely saw this on social media, is that everybody, all those organizations were putting out a call for volunteers. Mm-hmm. So obviously you and Josh are there with the dog. Um, so you took some steps to make sure that the dog and the owner were a little bit more comfortable and prepared for at least getting up or down. Um, at what point do, do you reach a critical mass of enough people being there where you can, you, I'm assuming the first decision is up or down, right? Right. So within 30 minutes, there were um, six rescuers plus the owner. And at that point, we felt we had enough I'll call it muscle power. Right. That's to, my question. You know, think about even moving this dog. So we start to go into the whole decision process about up or down. Mm. So, you know, um, we've said, well, up's closer. We could potentially take the cog down or someone could drive up. Um, but on the negative side, we would be out in the hot sun. Um, there would be no soft space to put Odin down if we needed to put him down on some soft dirt. We knew that going down was longer and harder over the rock slabs. Um, but the biggest decision was the fact that by the time we got ready to mobilize 
it was probably, uh, and I'm estimating on the times here, maybe 2.33 o'clock, and we were getting very concerned about time with being stuck at the summit. So we knew the Cog Railway closed at 4.30. Uh, the Auto Road, I think, closes at 5. So, um, and I know Josh was on the phone with the, for your pause only, and they even suggested try to go down. So we decided on going down. So then we had to get the harness on him. Um, we rigged up a makeshift um, muzzle. So it was made out of fabric and we tied it around his nose and then over his head in a bow. I mean, he, (laughs) (laughs) cute. (laughs) Um, but that actually calmed him down. And then, um, two of the guys said they'd give it a go. And, uh, you know, I think we capitalized on everyone's strengths, just the two guys who thought they could do it. Um, you know, another two women who were there and very supportive. One of them had contacts at the summit. So she was able to call and get information about, you know, could we ride the train with an injured dog? And they said, yes, but you have to be here at 430. <laughs> and we're like, well, we don't know. We're going to be there at 430. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, we all pulled together. And, you know, first time ever I've hiked down with multiple backpacks on, but, um, you know, we, we, we were really high, we jumped into like a high performing team making decisions. Um, and you know, we said, okay, let's start out. If it doesn't work, we'll pull off to the side of the trail and wait for more people, but let's give it a go. And so we did. So when you guys started downhill, how many people were physically capable of carrying 90 pounds? Only two. Out of the seven. Okay. How many How many out of seven? Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a heavy lift for those two. Were you able to assist and, and unload a little bit? Were people surrounding that person or those two? Uh, oh, yes, definitely. The yeah. woman, uh, Christina, she was very good. She was downhill. She would hold the hiker's foot mm-hmm. and guide it into footholds wow. over the slabs. I can't even imagine. Um, the owner was holding the dog's head, trying to keep him calm because when he got upset, that would make it very hard for the person who had him on the back. The two guys that had, that switched off, I'd say about every 10 minutes, Mm -hmm. they switched off. Good, good. Um, we had a nurse with us, a retired nurse. She, uh, was making sure that we were all staying hydrated and that we were taking breaks. I'm sure you know, as being on SAR, once adrenaline takes over, you know, you just start doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And she's like, nope, nope, nope. We're all taking a break. We're all eating a power bar. You know, let's <laughs> stop. So this is what I mean by we kind of all like capitalized on our strengths mm-hmm. and pulled together. But um Yeah. The two guys that carried him, I mean, one guy, he's like, no, I can do this. I can do this. I can carry him up. I didn't know that Sherpas were in New Hampshire. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I'm serious. I mean, like our winter packs for SAR, um, they can boost up to 70 pounds and it is not an easy task by any means. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So 90 is incredible. 
Mm. Of the initial group that you had, Janine, how were any of them just sort of stumbled on the scene and were like, "We're gonna, we're gonna help," or was everybody specifically like they heard the call and they're they're there for? Yeah, everybody heard the call, and uh, they said, "I'm here for the dog," and we're like, "Okay, you're you're next on the team." Got it. And then you just like there was no forming, storming, and norming. It was just like right to high performance team for you guys. Yeah, pretty much. I mean, uh, people had a lot of good ideas about the up down, and I really had no opinion to be honest. Again, I, you know, I didn't really know which way would be the best. And um, but you know, I was a business manager for many years, so my role was kind of like, okay, let's make the decision. Let's take some. Let's take an action, and if it's not working out, we'll come up with an alternate plan. But it's getting to be 3 o'clock, and this is going to be slow. You know, we all have headlights. We did we did kind of a basic equipment check, but we knew we needed to move, so we got going. Great, great. So I think let's, let's pause. So we've got the initial sort of rescue team of what, six to eight people and Janine's on there and they've got a plan to move down. Megan, where do you pick up on this? Um, at what point do you decide that you're getting up to Amanusik and, and getting involved in this? So I was at home. I had done a 4k earlier that day. So I was home with my pup. Um, I'm not sure about timing. I think it was around four o'clock that I first heard it. Um, my friend had just sent me a message. Hey, are you still hiking for the day? Have you seen that this dog um, needs help? And that's kind of all she said to me. And I was like, okay, I'm going to go. So I grabbed um, four or five liters of water. Uh, in my pack, I already had dog food. I had a dog bowl, which actually came in handy. Mm-hmm. Um, I packed my harness, which the dog was too big for, but I was like, I'm just going to bring it anyway. Um, and then I also packed extra layers for me. I packed two headlamps in case someone forgot theirs or we were going to be out for a night. And I didn't really know what I was coming up on. I didn't know if it would be down by the time I got there or if I was kind of too late for it because it was so late in the day. I was thinking that, well, they must, they must almost be down already. You know, I'm not sure there's much I could do, but I figure I could bring them water and some food um, and help them out. So I get to the trailhead. I guess around 4.30 and same thing. I don't really see many people. And I was like, okay, so if I hike up and I don't come into them, at what point do I turn around? Because it is going to get dark soon. I see this group of people that is by the picnic table and I ask them, Hey, do you know if the dog is down? Is he okay? And they say, no, he's still up there. I heard he's pretty far up and he still needs help. Um, and they actually had, they were awesome because they had some refreshments and food and like, do you want trail magic before or after? I said, after. <laughs> so I grabbed my pack and I started to kind of just lightly jog up the trail. It's pretty flat for the first mile or so. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I kept, I asked a couple people that are coming out, like, hey, do you see the dog? Where are they? And they said, oh, no, he's way up there. And someone else said, oh, there's about nine people there. I was like, okay, do they still need help? And they're like, so I don't know, but they, they weren't sure. Um, and I kind of wasn't getting a lot of information from these hikers. So I was like, I'm just going to go up and see if they need help. And then if not, then I'll just come back down with them. So I keep going and I'm going for a little bit. I think I was about two miles in from the trailhead that I met them, maybe a little bit less. 
Um, but about, yeah, two miles and I came across some people and I thought they were just hikers at first. And then I realized that they had this dog with them. So I was like, hi, my name is Megan, like here to help. I'm for the dog. What can I do? And one of the things actually ended up being, you know, he's refusing water. So it seemed like he hadn't drink for a while. So I got, so I asked the owner, I was like, can I try something? I actually, um, I work with a team of sled dogs. So I have experience with not only my dog, but other dogs as well. So I did a trick where you put water and food into the same bowl and the dog will have to drink the water to then get the food. <laughs> so we did that a couple of times just for him to stay hydrated and it works. So if there are any dog people out there and it's a hot day and you can't get your dog to drink, mix in some food in the bowl, some dog food, and they'll have to at least get some water while they're getting the food. Um, yeah, and hmm. then I just showed up at the scene, and there was already, they were, like Janine said, they already had everything together. They were already working super well. It was like a professional team by the time I showed up. I was very impressed. Good. Wow. Now, Janine, so just going back to um, that initial, so you got moving around 3 o'clock, and mm-hmm. you had you had the, sort of the two primary folks carrying, and then mm-hmm. you're supporting, you're carrying their backpacks. Um that I know that section where you sort of cross the um, there's like another waterfall there mm-hmm. and you start sort of crossing, it gets really steep down mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. There was what, six or eight of you at that point? There was um, actually the young man's mother had hiked up after about us hiking down for 45 minutes. So there was eight in total probably when we got to that. Um, cause there were six rescuers, the owner, and then his mother hiked up. And, um, so yeah, there were eight of us at that point when we crossed that waterfall. Wow. And I can tell you just from like watching it from afar. So I was working the whole day, but I did, I think I logged in around like one or one thirty, and there was somebody in your party, the gentleman that had just been recently like through surgery and yeah. was like that. He was the one that like, I think around one thirty or so, he's like, look, we need help here. Mm. And I think that's when it really, like the lesson I learned on this one, and Stomp has told me this so many times, but the amount of time it takes to actually mobilize a rescue and get to the victim is way longer than people think. Like, I think that everybody read that that post by Laura and was like, oh yeah, so, you know, there'll be a bunch of ma- hikers magically up there that are all going to help. But it sounds to me like there was hikers around, but like, you can't depend on just random hikers out there. Like they're just moving on with their lives and saying like, I'll do what I can, you know, I'll give a sleeping bag or water or food, but I'm not sticking around. I've got, I've got my life to live. So that's probably the biggest lesson that I learned on this one, or at least got confirmed from what Stomp used to tell me is like, it takes a long time. So we're talking eight 30, the word is out three o'clock is when you really start mobilizing. And then as you're making your way down, was there any, like in those steep sections, there must've been some scary scary moments. I yeah, realize. there were definitely, like I said, we were, um, the one woman, Christina was trying to guide the, the carrier's feet into footholds and hold them there, you know, those rock slabs. And, um, just so that they wouldn't slip, there were parts where, you know, we were slipping and, um, you know, People were holding like the back of the dog harness, trying to give some leverage to the carrier, Um, you know, but we, I'm telling you this, this group had a can do attitude. I mean, everyone was like, we are getting you down safely, you know, one step at a time, just one step at a time. That's it. So um, yeah, it was, um, 
you know, I, 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 as I think it might've been Stomp and you, Mike, just talking about the trail itself. I mean, to be honest with you, I'm not sure I would have chosen to go back down that way if I had hiked that trail for recreation. Um, So, you know, yeah, it was very steep and we were very slow. I mean, one step at a time, very slow. Um, so that's why we, you know, we hadn't made that much progress by the time, um, you know, the word went out. So yeah, the one member of our group, he had just had leg surgery and he said he was out for, a, uh, you know, let me test out my legs on a small little hike. And he saw the post and he's like, I have to go up. So he gets up there and he's like, I can't carry but I can be on social media the whole way down. And we're like, perfect. Okay. You're the social media guy. Wow. Yeah. And I think that his actions on social media, Megan, that's probably like, because all of a sudden like this, the word started getting out around three or four o'clock that like, Hey, they're not as like, first of all, like everybody assumed that you were way lower than you were. Mm -hmm. Nobody thought that you were by Lake of the clouds Mm -hmm. because I mean, and it's not Laura's fault, you know, Mm -hmm. knowing distance is difficult. Mm -hmm. So, but the other thing is, is like, it just, I think everybody just assumed that like, because they were low, you know, you're a mile from Lake of the clouds that like somebody will get it, get the dog down. I think once that person started posting on social media that, Hey, we need help and we're, mm-hmm. we're in trouble. That's when the word got out and Megan, that makes total sense on why your friend would have said like, Hey, they still need help. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I knew that it was going to take a while, you know, for people to show up, but I thought for sure by the time I got there, there would be more people than there were. There were probably somewhere in the teens, like low teens and stuff when I got there. Not as many as I thought. Yeah, exactly. And by that point, though, we had um, people from that dart who had brought a fold-up litter. And so we had moved him off of people's uh, a person's back, one of the guy's backs, into the fold-up litter. Mm. So I think, was he on the litter, Megan, when you arrived? Yes, he was on the litter, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's better. So you can get more people on the litter and re- on the litter. reduce the weight. So when did the uh, dog get into the litter? Off the steep section? Uh, at the gem pool. Oh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so you still had a challenge ahead. So, yeah. The litter didn't necessarily help the situation too much, but maybe a little. Yeah. yeah. Tough terrain. Mm-hmm. Wow. Did you, um, Janine, was it like, it, it, to me, it sounds like it would have been like a sort of a, a crescendo of like, okay, we're, this is going to be really hard. And then all of a sudden you probably started feeling more and more hopeful with every person that showed up Absolutely. there. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. I mean, um, you know, the social media guy kept saying, well, this person's asking if they could, should come. And we just kept saying, yes, just tell everyone. Yes. And he's like, well, this is a vet tech. Should they come? Yes. Should should a vet come? Yes. Do we need um, do we need another litter, a hard litter? Yes. We just kept saying yes because, you know, we just needed. And I'll tell you, I'm here to tell you, we needed every single person that showed up. I mean, people were getting exhausted, and you know, it's uh, still as Stomp said, still rough terrain ahead, and. Um, 
But, you know, it warmed my heart. Every time we went around the corner, there was another group of people that were there to help us. And I remember, Megan, when you knelt down with the food bowl, I never knew that before, put the food in, then the water. Um, And I was just like, I was just going to cry. I'm like, thank God, more people are coming to help. Um, And we actually had them in the soft litter and then, we moved him back to the harness to try to make a little bit better time um, over some of the rough terrain. And then we were met up with someone who had like a hard litter. Um, and that was the final leg. He was on the hard litter. So, um, but it took everyone. And um, yeah, and we might still have been up there if everyone didn't show up. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I know Stomp, I'm pretty sure, like, obviously, you know, Megan, unofficially, you're part of, you know, the, the Pemisar team. So there was definitely people from Pemisar that I know Avsar unofficially was like, we'll come and help whatever we, you know, not from a, a, a official volunteer organization, but I think that all the organizations were there to help. And, um, you know, I think that it's, it was probably a pretty heartwarming scene for, for both of you as you, as you made it down. So I know that there was a vet that was involved or maybe two veterinarians. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you want to take us through that? Like, uh, was it at the parking lot or was it before where the vet got on the scene? No, they hiked up. Um, the first vet, he had just graduated from Tufts like a week or two ago, just got his job in Bartlett, New Hampshire. Um, he actually ran up the trail. Um, he did an assessment on the dog on the trail um, and, you know, felt that we should continue on. The dog was holding up well. And then the second vet, she is out of Meredith ER Hospital. I didn't catch her name, but um, she was had told me she had fluids. Um, she checked his temperature. She also did an assessment checked his pulse, checked his temperature. They said, you know, the dog is stable. Um, It's just he was getting really antsy. And um, he's a big boy. And, you know, when he starts to decide he's going to stand up on the soft litter while six people are trying to carry him over a water crossing. Oh, boy. So, yeah, but two vets came up and were there. I mean, she told me, she said, I have fluids. I can administer an IV on the trail. But I think the most important thing, considering his condition, is to um, work on getting him down. So, you know, let's go. It's very much the way it is with humans. Our job is just to get Mm -hmm. people down the trail so that they can get further medical treatment as needed. Mm -hmm. So eventually you end up in the Amanusik parking lot, I'm assuming? (laughs) I did. And, uh, and just as Megan said, I mean, surprise to me, there were people down there with cold drinks, cut up fruit, um, you know, saying thank you. And I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, and I just sat down at the picnic table <laughs> and started eating like 40 pieces of watermelon. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> 40. <laughs> Megan, you, you know, yeah, I, I, I love watermelon too, especially on a hot day. I was so but, hungry at that point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I started eating the rind of mine. I was like, wait a second. Yes. Oh, I remember. I, I remember. I the rind. <laughs> she goes, I'm eating the rind. Yeah, I, I can imagine. That's awesome. Yeah. So, Janine, I, I know you must have been exhausted, but Megan, like you had already, you said you already hiked a 4,000 footer earlier in the day. 
Yeah, yeah. So I was actually running on, um, I think that day I did a 19, 20 hour day total. So I had been up since 4 a.m. The night before, I was up at 1 a.m. to do Franconia Ridge. So I was really um, running on fumes. But when I saw that it was this dog and, you know, I have my wellness first responder, I have experience with dogs, I'm like, I know I can help with this. Um, so I was like a no-brainer. Like I grabbed my stuff and I went, you know. Um, so, yeah, when I got there, I was actually feeling pretty good. The heat was definitely um, a factor. But thankfully, off the trail, there's a bunch of streams. So I would just walk right in and I would just splash it up on me and just keep going. And that kept me cool for the whole way up until I was able to meet them. And that allowed me to run a little bit up the trail instead of just kind of walk up it. <laughs> for this weekend's qualifying hike, if you show up, you can carry me up. I'm more than happy that you can carry me and however you want. She's more than capable, apparently. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I only weigh 200. I'm, I'm 200 pounds, so that's two Rottweilers. Okay. That's not too bad. You could probably handle that. Totally. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the litter, actually, when you have six people on that litter... I, I can't oh, yeah. imagine these guys that, the two guys that carried it by themselves. I mean, six people on the litter, if you were on the front or middle, That's amazing. you were like trying to hold it up. And the back, he was sliding forward. Yeah. So the back two people had like hair. <laughs> <laughs> it was the soft litter. It's amazing. You guys are heroes. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. It's a, it's a great story. And um, <laughs> I guess I want to get both of your perspectives. So... Um, you know, we try not, this is a sort of a difficult piece of this whole situation, but the owner, like as a young person, I was always like very responsible, very well behaved. You know, I had my act together, but stomp as a young person was always a disaster, getting in trouble, (laughs) causing all kinds of problems. So I understand that young people don't have the best judgment. Um, so from what I understand, the, the dog's owner is a young person. Nicole was very clear that like sort of she, she her read on the situation was that this is somebody that probably didn't have deep experience in, in the mountains. And I think I, I track a lot of search and rescues. I, I basically plot every media related search and rescue event. And what we find is, you know, especially when it comes to younger people, I used to sort of say like, oh, they're just behaving recklessly. But I think that there's an element here. I'm sort of evolving my view on this. And I think that there's a very strong element of some people just don't know what they don't know. And Mm -hmm. they want to get out and they want to experience the mountains. And there's so many variables to safety when it comes to the mountains that they just don't know any better. And I think in this situation, like I have to imagine that that's exactly what happened here is that you just had somebody that had no context, no experience, and just they walked past that. You know, it's the same thing, Janine, when you talked about, mm-hmm. you know, you just went past that line on Franconia Ridge mm-hmm. and you you knew better. I don't think that this owner knew any better, but I, I don't know, Janine, you probably spent the most time with him. Can you sort of give your perspective on it? Um as far as like the, you know, the, the responsibility and the actions of the owner in this case? Yeah. I mean, he was a young man. Um, and, um, you know, I, I mean, wearing sneakers and, uh, he did have a shirt on when I got there, but, uh, (laughs) shorts, you know, um, 
I don't think he had any idea what he was getting into as far as trail difficulty, how prepared he was or his dog, how fit his dog was for that type of hike. I mean, yeah, a big Rottweiler, but guess what? His pads weren't prepared for that granite and maybe even a dog who had prepared pads should have had booties on or something. But um, I will say that I give him credit. He stayed with the dog. He never left the dog. He stayed overnight on Mount Washington with no supplies with the dog. And um, so there was a deep love and caring for that dog. And I do respect that. But I absolutely feel that he had no idea what he was getting into. Um you know, when I first got there, he kept looking at me and saying, you know, we're going to get down, right? I'm like, we are going to get down, but it's not going to be with just me. So we're going to have to sit tight, you, got, you know, be patient, we're going to work this out. But, you know, I I think he just thought we were going to, I don't know what he thought, like, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and I and I joke a little, you know. I was a honestly like I I pulled all kinds of nonsense when I was a young person. Um, nothing to this extent as far as with a dog, but it, like I said, like a lot of times in these situations, people don't know what they don't know, yeah. and they walk past that red line, and they you know they they're in trouble before they know it. So I don't know, Megan, did you get any read on it? I know you you were probably in a bigger bigger group of people, but um, what, what are your thoughts here? Yeah, I still um, had a couple conversations with him, and I think he absolutely loved his dog, and I think same thing Janine said is he just wasn't sure what he was getting into, and um, I see it myself. I have a lot of friends in that age group. I have a lot of younger friends, and I try and do my best to educate them and help them get into hiking. But there is just a lack of information. You know, if you're not in the hiking community, you don't really understand three miles is not three miles when, you know, you're going up 3,000 feet of elevation. It is very different, especially with the type of trail. It wasn't a dirt trail either. You know, you had rocks on it. So I think he just really, truly didn't know what he was getting into. Yeah, I love that the the dog's grandma showed up too. Uh, The dog's mother. (laughs) Oh, it's the dog's mom. Oh, so it's the, the well. It, it's, it was the young man. His mother showed up, so I guess you could call it the grandmother. I'm not sure if it was if it was his dog alone oh. or a family dog. I'm not. I never really got. That. It was a. It was a family dog. Okay. Got it. All right. So clearly, this family they mobilized to to be with the dog. So they did. They drove know. up from the Cape. She told me. Um, she said she had no idea he was even doing that. Um. So yeah. <laughs> it's a long ride home for him. <laughs> oh yeah, that's interesting. What are you What are you doing with our family dog? <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. So I have, um, I mean, I have some thoughts on wrap up, but stop. I don't know. Did, did I miss any questions? Anything you want to cover with? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I did have one question about whether or not anybody broke out like a rope or a rope belay or anything like that, that I don't know if that happened or not, but that would have possibly come in handy at some points on that trail. Did anybody see anything like that? Yeah. So, so when they were there, there was this part of the trail. It was, um, very washed out just for hikers. It was a bit difficult to get across. So to carry this litter, we were still in the soft litter at that point. 
Um, and we had people, I'm not sure how many we had at this point. I want to say in the 20s. So we had people lying the bottom. It was a very steep pitch, um, completely washed out. And Asar actually hooked up a branch to a rope and then attached it. So it was kind of like a railing. You had like a railing on the side of the trail. So people could keep something to like hold on to. And that was the hardest part that I was, you know, part of. We almost had someone, you know, fall over and, you know, I reached out just to grab the dog sooner than, you know, I was maybe supposed to just because I was like, oh, no, I don't want this dog to fall. And you could tell that they were having real difficulty getting across that washed out part of the trail. It was very steep. There was nothing really to hold on to. Good. Yeah, that's great. I mean, that's the benefit of having um, individuals that are part of a SAR team show up for something like that, even though they're not representing the teams themselves. That's great. Yeah, yeah. So I think just to wrap this up, um, Stomp and I cut an episode. I think it's probably going to be released after this episode. So we're going to try to get this out pretty quickly. But we, we did a retrospective about COVID. And one of the themes about that show was sort of like, COVID, I think, created this scenario where people, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily say they had a distrust, but I feel like COVID sort of brought us away from each other as a society. And I think that this story is really like I was watching this and I was rooting for Odin and I was rooting for all the people that were on that rescue during the day. And, you know, everything about this story around, you know, keeping social media updated, all the people that mobilized it really brings back this idea that the the hiking community in New Hampshire um, is a, is a is a tight community, and you know they will mobilize and 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 stand up for um, humans and dogs and and help them rescue. So I feel like this is a great story to sort of point to to say like you know let's let's sort of get over this sort of separation that we've dealt with over the last year and a half over COVID and know that we can all come together and work as a team and, and really focus on helping people and, and animals. And, you know, let's face it, dogs are better than people anyway. So we all want to come together and, and rescue a dog. So, so anyway, so I guess Janine and Megan, last question for both of you is, um, what was the aftermath? Like, Jeannie, was your husband just like blown away? Was he like, oh, what happened? <laughs> he must have been like, you know, really impressed. And then what, what sort of was the uh, the outcome over the last day or two for you? Well, uh, my phone battery died. Um, and so I couldn't contact him for probably about four hours. So he wasn't quite sure what was going on. But, um, you know, he knew I, where I was right up to that point. And, um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, driving home, I just was filled with like a uh, renewed sense of hope in humanity <laughs> and um, just absolutely amazed. I mean, you know, organizations showed up, but so many hikers showed up, you know, like families showed up with their children and... Um, it just, I mean, these people kept coming around the corner saying, what can I do to help here? Let me, you know, let me take the, the litter. And, and, you know, I was kind of in the back at that point. Cause I was just exhausted. I really wasn't talking to anyone and I'm just in the back reflecting. And I remember when Megan came and she knelt down and, and gave the dog the water and, 
I'm just like, who are these amazing, awesome people? It, it really filled my heart with um, hope. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a great story. And um, do we know, Megan or, or Janine? Do you know what uh, how Odin is doing a couple of days after? Have we, nobody's gotten any updates, probably. No. I mean, I know the vet said that, you know, she would sedate him and um, clean the paws and, and check him out um, at, you know, Meredith ER. Now, whether the owner opted to stop there or go to their own vet, I'm not really sure. And no, I don't know any updates on him. But the vet felt that you know, he was doing well. And he actually sat up in the litter when he saw his dad at the bottom of the trail. Oh, nice. <laughs> nice, nice. So hopefully he's he's resting for the next couple of weeks and he'll be back to barking at the neighbors. I have, my neighbors have two Rottweilers um, that always like, they, they sort of bark, but they're barking to say hello and like, you know, just don't forget I'm there in the backyard. So I love Rottweilers. They're they're a great breed. And, you know, 99% of the Rottweilers I've interacted with are super friendly and just big goofballs. So my guess is Odin's probably the same. <laughs> just a final thought for me. Um, just when you're going out with your dog, this story really highlights the fact that you need a plan B because volunteer search and rescue teams, fish and game, do not respond to these events. So it really does come down to the community to respond to these things. So if you as an owner of a dog can prepare for that eventuality, I mean, it can happen to, to a dog, then it's that's in your best interest. And look into these things like the Pack-A-Paw by Mountain Dog Wear. Um, we didn't really touch upon the dog mitts, dog mittens that dogs can wear, um, and just being smart about the weather and the conditions. So Mushers is another one. Mushers is a, it's a wax you put on dog's paws. And it's like a preventative, so it kind of seals their paws so they don't get as abrasive by the rock. Yeah, and I'll add some some of this information to the show notes, um, particularly the dog slings. And uh, I think if you have a smaller dog, I you know I don't know what the limit is, but I, I definitely have seen people like with dogs in their backpacks, you know, carrying them off. But a bigger dog, I mean, I think if your dog gets up over like forty pounds, I mean, you need a sling to carry them out. So I'll make sure that I link all that information in the show notes and. You know, this was a great episode, and I think that there was a ton of curiosity about exactly what went on with this. So I'm hoping that people will receive this well. And again, you're both heroes in my eyes, and um, all the people that were involved in the rescue, Janine, you really, you know, you you gave a great shout out post as a follow up for all of the uh, the people that participated. Like you said, you just went from you know forming and storming and norming. You guys went to a high performance team right away, which is the way that you want to do it. Yep. Great. Well, um, thank you so much for joining us. Um, I feel like you're both heroes and Stomp's a hero because he does search and rescue. So the only non-hero is me here. So um, I've got to work on something in the future, but um, this was a great story. And, um, you know, like I said, I think that this is a story that brings the whole hiking community together. I can tell you that like everybody was watching this and you guys pulled through and you did it. So congratulations. Yeah. Thank you very much, guys. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. 
If you want to learn more about the topics covered on today's show, please check out the show notes and safety information on slasserpodcast.com. That's S-L-A-S-R podcast.com. You can also follow the show on Facebook and Instagram. We hope you'll join us next week for another great show. Until next time, on behalf of Mike and Stomp, get out there and crush some peaks. Now covered in scratches, blisters, and bug bites, Chris Staff wanted to complete his most challenging day hike ever. Fish and game officers say the hiker from Florida activated an emergency beacon yesterday morning. He was hiking along the Appalachian Trail when the weather started to get worse. Officials say the snow was piled up to three feet in some spots and there was a wind chill of minus one degree. And there's three words to describe this race. Do we all know what they are? Lieutenant James Neeland, New Hampshire Fish and Game. Lieutenant, thanks for being with us today. Thanks for having me. What are some of the most common mistakes you see people make when they're heading out on the trails to hike here in New Hampshire? Seems to me the most common is being unprepared. And I think if they just simply visited uh, hikesafe.com and got a list of the 10 essential items and had those in their packs, they probably would have no need to ever call us at all. 